This episode of Sustainability Solved is brought to you in association with Business Declares, bringing business leaders together to show support for action on climate and nature. Hi, and welcome to Sustainability Solved. I'm Will Richardson, the founder and CEO of the Green Element Group, incorporating Green Element, Convey Your Footprint, and of course, Sustainability Solved. We've been empowering organisations to manage their environmental impacts for a just and sustainable world since 2004. And I'm Charlie Luxton, a designer who focuses on sustainable architecture. In this episode, Andrew Griffiths joins us to talk about the launch of the Carbon Accounting Alliance, a project which launched last month and aims to collaborate on solving sustainability challenges. It's supported by over 30 organisations and businesses, including Green Element and Compare Your Footprint. Welcome, Andrew. Uh, thank you. Lovely to be here. So let's start right at the very, very beginning. What is carbon accounting? You know, very simply, you know, think about what financial accounting is and then substitute money for carbon <laughs> to a certain degree. Um, you know, specifically carbon dioxide, but carbon dioxide equivalent. If you hear someone like me talk about carbon, what I really mean is all of the greenhouse gases. So methane, nitrous oxides, all, all of the greenhouse gases that sort of cause this warming effect uh, that is causing climate change. Um, and so uh, carbon accounting is sort of the, 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 the sort of profession by which uh, we are measuring carbon emissions for organizations, for products, for construction projects, uh, all of those sorts of things. How did the, the Carbon Accounting Alliance start and what, where did this kind of energy to create this, this uh, organization come from? So actually, it, we've, we've sort of been flying under the radar for about a year. Um, and it started because a couple of, you know, I've got friends in sort of different sort of bodies who do carbon accounting. And one in particular, um, uh, Emilian Climate Partner, um, he and I sort of sat down on a call. And one of the things we discussed was the fact that we we were both, you know, really recommending that all of the people that we work with, all the companies we support should be collaborating within their sectors to you know, drive change and help uh, reduce emissions. And we went, wait, are, are we talking to our sector, other carbon accounting bodies? No. Should we be? Probably. <laughs> um, and so, um, you know, we, we realized that we really should walk the walk on, you know, industry collaboration and that we didn't really have a forum or a space where we could come together to kind of discuss challenges, opportunities, issues that were affecting our industry. And equally, sort of other bodies like, you know, policymakers, standard setters, et cetera, et cetera, really have a place where they could engage our sector en masse. Um, they, they'd have to kind of deal with us one at a time. And so we decided to start organizing some gatherings that were, you know, pretty informal at first and just a handful of us. And then it, it has just ballooned since then. And in, in the last two days, <laughs> so we, we, you know, we launched two days ago, it was 37 organizations what we started with as of this morning we're at 108 <laughs> by the end of this podcast you're going to be at 115 at that rate oh i've seen a bunch of more applications that have come in this morning that i haven't dealt with yet um i was up till sort of you know 1am last night processing all the ones that came through yesterday because we've, we've tripled in size and we've gone from again on you know on wednesday we started at the point where we we were represented collectively we represented around twenty four thousand, well more than twenty four thousand carbon company carbon footprints 
But as of right now, we collectively represent more than 40,000 company carbon footprints. Extraordinary. It's extraordinary. It's, I, I, we, we've been overwhelmed. I mean, what, if, if you could achieve one thing other than uh, global domination by the sounds of it, if you could achieve one thing, what are you hoping to get by, by this new form, this new structure? So it, it's really about championing best practice in the industry you know as you know think of it as you know what what many think this is the kind of the sort of the informal start of a trade body for our sector and so there are sort of four key things that we've agreed like when we got together the first thing we did was like well what's the point in this what are we going to do together and we came up with a list of things we could do together and then we asked people to vote on them to prioritize them and so um the four sort of things are sort of policy and legislation standards technical alignment and communications and so on the on the policy and legislation front, you know, we, we are seeking alignment on some policy asks where particularly if we, we see all the all day every day, we see barriers to measurement that could be addressed by policy. So one clear example is if a company is a tenant and their landlord won't give them energy, water and waste data, they can't measure their their real core scope one and two emissions. Right? It it becomes really, really challenging. And so you know, a piece of policy from government that mandated landlords, commercial landlords, to share energy, water, and waste data with their tenants for the purposes of measuring carbon would be phenomenal. And, and it helps with this sort of drive to try and bring energy efficiency in and all those sorts of things. And, and there are precedents for that, by the way. So France has a law, which means that any uh, property over a thousand square meters must report their energy consumption on an annual basis in the public domain. So, you know, so we seek, seek alignment on that. Standards, it's sort of a similar thing where we seek to sort of understand standards where particularly where new standards have emerged. We seek ways to make, you know, get to grips with it together and kind of understand how, how are you finding this? What's the problem, broader problems with it? So like the new forest land and ag- agricultural emissions um, sort of standards that have come out from the GHG protocol and from Science-Based Targets Initiative, we've been able to have discussions about those where we've gone, are you finding that's a problem as well? Are you finding that's a problem? Should we go as a collective with some asks to say, hmm, this isn't working for us as a, rather than it just being one of us. It's much more powerful if we're kind of a group voice. And then the technical alignment piece, same sort of thing. It's, you know, around us discussing which carbon emissions factors we should be using, which is, you know, for those who aren't familiar, it's, it's very simple. It's, it's you know, we, we take um, a piece of a data point like the kilowatt hours of energy that you've used in a month and we multiply that by a carbon factor, which is sort of a proxy thing where it says one kilowatt hour of energy equals X tons of carbon. And, and that's how your, your sort of your emissions are sort of calculated across all of those different kind of data points. And so we seek technical alignment on which proxies should be used, which ones should not be used. You know, there are some databases that are quite old and some people are still using. And so we can, if we form a group statement and go, don't use that data set because we don't think it's accurate, Again, we can drive sort of best practice. And then the final one, communications, is really about, um, you know, alignment on sort of terms that should and shouldn't be used. So discussing and debating use of claims. So we've been having some debates about the use of the term carbon neutral, for example, that have been really sort of in- interesting and insightful where we found that the majority, uh, this was back when we were 37 organizations, we found that the majority of the alliance either had never verified people as carbon neutral or had stopped <laughs> and so that's yeah and a couple still are um but we sort of had some really interesting discussions to base around that going hmm so are we saying as an industry that we think carbon neutral 
needs to go and it's all net zero now can i jump in there Andrew, when you just said net zero, do you mean real net zero or net zero? <laughs> oh, what's what's your definition of that? No, yeah. I think it's really important because people listening will pick up. Yes, absolutely. So um, there's 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 a bit of a challenge in, in in definitions where people are still getting used to. When when I talk about net zero, I'm referring to the science based targets, uh, corporate net zero standard, which basically means that organisations uh, have to set a baseline year, and then they have to reduce at least 90% or more of their emissions. And then only up to 10% is what they can use carbon removal offsets against for unavoidable uh, residual emissions. So that's that's the journey that, that corporates are on that's been set up by science-based targets. But interestingly, at a, you know, at a global level, net zero and carbon neutral are the same thing, which is slightly confusing it's just that the very simple sort of seesaw that we're trying to address is that emissions are way too high so nature just cares about two questions are we emitting more or are we emitting less and are we sequestering and storing more carbon or less and currently the scales are so far skewed that if we don't substantially reduce our emissions, we cannot plant enough trees, we cannot develop enough technologies to remove carbon from the atmosphere. And that's the reason for this 90-10 kind of split of saying 90% is reductions, 10% is is your kind of removals and, and storage. While we're on definitions, could you just run scope one, two and three past me in a, in a kind of simple layman's terms? Definitely. So um, scope one is the fuel that you burn. It's your direct emission. So uh, for most organizations, that is oil or gas heating system and vehicle fleets, if you have any petrol or diesel cars. If you're directly burning the fuel, that's your scope one emission. That doesn't include electricity, right? Unless it's on-site generated from, from, from No, exactly. So if, yeah, okay. Exactly, yeah. So um, it would be, only be a scope one if you had like a biomass burner or something like that where you were generating your own energy through burning something. Um, so scope one, generally you're burning something yep. <laughs> um, like it. <laughs> Keep it simple. Yeah, exactly. Scope two is the energy that you use. And so because, you you know, if you're sourcing energy from on the grid or from elsewhere, you're not the one burning the fuel to create the energy, but you are the one consuming the energy and you have a lot of control over the amount of energy that you consume. Um, and so that's your scope two emission. So scope one and two together for most organizations is their utility bills and their vehicle fleet if they have any and then scope three is everything else there are 15 categories of scope three and i won't go through all of them but there are some that are quite easy to measure because you have the data anyway so things like waste you can usually get to quite quickly and easily water sort of fall into it you've got transfer and distribution energy franchises are relatively easy to measure because it's sort of this getting Business travel is another easy one. Yeah, absolutely. You're measuring it for financial purposes anyway. The harder ones are things like um, going into your products and services, which is all of your supply chain, looking at financed emissions, category 15, which could include your pensions and things like that, pension choices. So it's, it's um, yeah, scope three is everything else and usually represents anywhere from 70 to 99% of an organization's carbon footprint. Yeah, especially because I come from the architecture background, you know, that that's everything you know, what we ask people to build is, you know, everything that we admit, really. Yeah. I mean, vast, vast amounts, unfortunately. I and mean, we can do everything we can, but but it's sort of outside of our, our immediate control, apart from specification, which is sort of the challenge for, for many of us, I suppose, supply chain. 
Yeah, absolutely. I think interestingly, um, at, at COP28, the race to zero, the, the UN campaign to sort of get organizations setting net zero targets, we've had a had a working group who have been developing a set of um, guidelines for professional services, specifically thinking about advised emissions. So thinking lawyers, thinking con, you know management consultants, thinking financial advisors, people like that, what influence do they have through their advice and what influence can they have to help reduce emissions through giving good advice, not just when someone's asking the question, what can I do about sustainability? But actually, I'm thinking of buying or selling this capital assets, you know, going, have you thought about the sustainability and net zero implications of you doing that transaction? You know, you know, really leaning in and, and bringing it up when it hasn't been on the agenda. And how much change do you find from the companies that 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 you're working with when they start to get visibility of of the of the impacts of their actions? I mean, uh, from our perspective, we've been doing carbon modelling on buildings, and actually, it really has changed a lot of our thinking quite rapidly. And, and is that what you're finding within the the organisations that you work with? And Will, I mean, this is actually a question to you too, mate, because I mean, this is what you do all day, all, every day. And it seems to me this is an incredibly powerful tool, possibly the most powerful tool in business, but how do you see it? I've got two answers. There's the Carbon Accounting Alliance answer, and then there's my, my Planet Mark answer, uh, which is more granular because I know it better. Um, at the Carbon Accounting Alliance, we've we've started, we're at the very early stages of starting to try and understand the impact of the community, where so far, and especially now, none of the new people have joined in the last two days have answered this question yet. But a hand, you know, about a little over half of the 37 that we originally had responded to a, a, a survey we did asking, what's the total amount of emissions you've measured? And what's the total amount of reductions that you've measured, not offsets, actual reductions. And so we know that the Alliance so far, at least, and it will be way bigger than this now, has measured more than 587 million tonnes of carbon dioxide equivalent and have measured more than 6 million tonnes of reductions. Now, I want to get more into that data. <laughs> I want to get more more people reporting against it. But that's already interesting that we, we, measure, we are measuring and we are seeing these reductions. And for, so from a Planet Mark perspective, so Planet Mark, we've got over 800 uh, members uh, where we certify them every year and they have to reduce their emissions every year in order to recertify. And so uh, we have to be helpful to do that. Last year, 99% success rate. 99% of our members succeed in reducing their footprint. On average, they reduce their absolute carbon footprint by 11% year on year and 14% per employee. We measured over 300,000 tons of carbon emission reductions. And you'll like this, Charlie, because we also do construction. <laughs> we certify construction projects. Um, on average, we, so we've done, I think, more about 130 construction projects, both residential and, and commercial. On average, we measure a 25% reduction in whole life emissions from construction projects that we work with, where we look at what a baseline would have been if they hadn't done all of the measures to change materials, change processes, transportation, supply chain, waste, all of that kind of stuff. And we go, what, what would it have been? What was it? What was the reduction that was achieved in this construction project through using sustainable principles? You touched upon you know, you want legislation to mandate um, landlords to give the data to their tenants. In my experience, in our experience, it is really hard to get data. An awful lot of organisations actually need help in order to 
get that data. Now, that's not going to work ongoing. If we actually need to achieve the emissions, that's the reason why I set up Compare Footprint in the first place. So let's go down the route of we're not going to get that mandate anytime soon because we know what's going on politically and we know what's going on politically around the world as well. So actually it's business that's driving most of this change. And considering the UK is, I think, 90, 99% SMEs. Is that right? Yeah. Roughly that. Let's let's not get hooked on the figures. So therefore, it's actually 99% of businesses in the UK are going to struggle to get hold of data and understand if they can get hold of the data, how to manipulate it. How do you foresee that helping? Yeah, of course. I think um, there's, you know, there's there's two sides to the problem, right? There's there's there is the policy angle of like what people kind of have to do, and then there's what can we do to make it as easy and seamless as possible, and that's partially about alignment, but also part, and it's also partially about interoperability, making it so that our systems evolve to a point where they can talk to each other. Um, and then the third is is automation of data gathering, which I'll, I'll sort of come on to um, in a second. On the policy front, the good news there is that actually, although although we've only just officially officially launched, we've actually already been doing some stuff because we wanted to have some proof of principle of what would a collaboration with this kind of group of people look like. And so our first test of that was we developed a co-signed letter that we sent to the UK's Department for Energy Security and Net Zero, which is the UK government department, DESNES, <laughs> um, who are doing, uh, the, they lead the sort of the net zero energy policy development in the UK. Uh, we sent them a letter and they invited us in for a meeting with, uh, we were very pleasantly surprised at the sheer numbers of directors and heads of that we had in the room we sort of they, they brought sort of every sort of major sort of person from different departments in seemingly including the deputy director of net zero who, who heads up net zero policy and so they seem certainly seem to take our letter very seriously and that included that that recommendation and i know that they have reached out since asking for clarifications on what do we mean by commercial landlord and we're talking to defra about this and uh, i know the climate change committee uh, which sort of is the sort of independent body that scrutinises UK climate policy in, a, in, a, in an official way, they are also exploring particularly that recommendation because A, there's precedent, We've, we see it, it's happening in France, and B, that I think they see that it could have a, 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 you know, a very positive impact on something that's quite frustrating for a lot of businesses at the moment. So that the policy angle, I, I, I do actually hold some some hope in. But on on the yeah on on the <laughs> other end of the spectrum, sort of what can we do? There's um there's an initiative called Project Perseus, which I I'm also feeling very positive about, which uh, is being led by Icebreaker One and Bankers for Net Zero. I co-chair the policy group of of Project Perseus, and very simply, these these are the same people. Icebreaker One are the same people who developed the open banking standard. The one that means that you can go on to QuickBooks or Xero, click a button saying, I would like to connect my bank account, and it just does it. It just, it just everything comes through, and it does it the same way no matter what bank you're with because they've created that framework for data sharing that's just permission-based and clear APIs that just work the same way everywhere. We want to do the same thing for open carbon data. Right. And so we're starting with energy. That's the first first point. By the end of the year, we want to have a demonstrator 
And then uh, next year, we'll be looking to scale that demonstrator. And the idea is that, that what we're working towards doing here is that we're working with the, um, and this is UK government backed, by the way, they've, they've got ministerial backing to drive this and they've got all of the big banks are involved. There's a lot of different players. And essentially what we do is, you you know, a, a company, an organization, an SME would come on to compare your footprint or Planet Mark or whatever tool they're using. They'd click a button saying, I would like to connect my energy data. They have some form of verification, check in with their energy provider and or smart meter provider. And that data would then simply pull through into our systems and could be automatically automatically analyzed at a much more granular level than we currently do. Because currently, certainly most of us are calculating energy emissions based on, okay, you used that much in a month and the average grid intensity was that, therefore this. This would be 30-minute interval data with the grid intensity measures of that time and location paired with the data coming through. So we'd have much more accurate data. And critically, that data would be assurable, meaning it could be audited, it could be sourced. There's no risks of human error and things like that coming through. And that's the reason the banks are so interested in this is that they need assurable data in order to prove that when they give a green loan, green financing products and things like that to an SME or to a bigger business, they need to be able to prove that it actually is the financing they're giving actually is green. And the only way they can prove that is to have data that, sh- that is assurable that shows we gave them a loan to help them with their insulation and or you know installing solar panels or whatever it might be. And we've seen that their energy consumption has gone from that to that in the in the emissions that that sort of have happened and that means that we can now certify this is a green financing product that we're giving people investors you can invest in our green linked sort of products that's one of the reasons that the banks are so interested so it's this thing has legs for sure um how fast it will be able to happen and scale we're starting with energy data for smes and then we'll see where we get to from there it might go to business travel next it's just all what makes most sense for automating so uh, fundamentally the upside of what you're saying is that despite recent rhetoric, that there is genuine interest in the government for this issue. Yes, it's I, I, yeah, for sure. Um, I, you know, I, had a, I did a roundtable with um, Chris Skidmore, uh, the MP who did the Net Zero Review in Parliament uh, last week. So we sat down with, with Chris and also Kerry McCarthy, who's the um, Shadow Minister for Climate. And we had Deputy Director of Net Zero from Desnes. We had the Climate Change Committee. And so we, we've had, they, they are leaning in. There are lots of interested parties within both Conservative Party and Labour Party and Lib Dems, you know, wherever you look. And so it's going to, next year is going to be critical because, you know, election year, we need, you know, we need to see that if, if anyone chooses to run on the ticket of weakening environmental and, you know, climate legislation, we need to, as a society, demonstrate that you—that's not how you win elections. <laughs> um, yeah, I, I've, there are definitely there are, especially within the civil service, I can I can wholeheartedly attest that there are really good people with their hearts in the right place, pushing for all of the right things, and a lot of the time it's just that they just can't get stuff through ministers, and it's really frustrating.
This episode of Sustainability Solves is brought to you by Business Declares, a not-for-profit business network of over 100 businesses working together for a sustainable future. I'm really pleased to be able to join forces with Business Declares for this podcast, as they are a cause close to my heart, and I already volunteer to them offering advice, attending group meetings, and helping set up and promote events, like the recent Q. I would encourage you to join as a member today so you can get help accelerating your action on net zero and nature targets for your business and grow your network of forward-thinking green business leaders. You can find out more information about upcoming events and how you apply to join at businessdeclares.com. So what would be, I mean, you've, you're literally two days old. You've already grown a gazillion percent. I mean, assuming I can't keep up with the numbers. It's probably changed from my gazillion and one percent by now. Um, but what, what, would a, what, would a, what would you like to achieve in the next 12 months and, and you know, five years, let's say? Have you got sort of headline ambitions? Um, to a certain extent, this is, this is definitely going to need to evolve. And because one of the key things, key principles underlying this is that, um, you know, although, you know, Amelia and I started it, we, we are not planning to be dictators determining what everyone should be doing. We very much do want to operate through group sort of processes so that people kind of choose what our priorities are and have a say in what we do and what, what will be most impactful. So that caveat, right in there because we've got a lot more people to understand the interests of now um i think the the first thing is going to be getting some structures in place because there's just too many people for us to have on sync we've been having what monthly microsoft teams meetings with you know 15 20 people coming along our december meeting looks like it's going to be a heck of a lot busier (laughs) that starts to become unmanageable very quickly so we'll need to start thinking about structures to put in place that enable because the 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 magic of this thing the what the thing that people have enjoyed already sort of said that they just love is being able to be in a space with other people who know all about the challenges that they're facing and that you're, you're kind of among peers who you can just be really candid with and go, is anyone else really struggling with that thing? And then a whole bunch of people, it's kind of therapy is, 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 <laughs> is, is part of the value here. It's just that people can come together and just share the same woes about what's, what's really challenging, what's really difficult, particularly as we're all quite rapidly scaling organizations. So I hope we can create a sort of a, sort of a unified feeling of common purpose I think is the fundamental because that every success of everything else will come from that. If, if, if we feel that we've got a unified purpose, unified vision, and that that collaboration over competition sort of concept really rings through for us where we all acknowledge, right, you know, Planet Mark could not measure every company in the UK tomorrow. If you asked us to, couldn't do it. We couldn't scale that fast. It would be ridiculous. <laughs> but so that, that means we need allies, right? We're not specialists in everything. We need allies in the industry in order to achieve our goals, which is fundamentally impact, fundamentally tackling climate change. So I'm really keen for us to sort of create that unified vision. And then I think success over the next 12 months will be, you know, working with policymakers to try and, A, make it really clear that, uh, you know, what industry needs and building the business case behind it. So of helping them understand what could be unlocked through doing certain things will be critical and and the risks of not doing some of these things. So helping build that case for things that, that we want to see. Then there's um, engaging with standards. So 
Uh, the ISO net zero guidelines are likely to undergo a process in the next year where they're turned into an ISO net zero standard. You know, we want to engage in that and make sure that all of the best practices and all of the knowledge and expertise that we have as a sector is feeding into that process to make sure that it's we can, if we can nudge best practice even slightly in a standard that gets set, the impact is huge because it ripples out globally or certainly nationally. Um, and so it seems like the ISO net zero guidelines, it, it, it would be global. So really driving for nudging best practice on both standards and policy, um, having that safe space for you know, candid conversations about what we should and should not do as as a sector and professionalizing to a certain degree as well. Like, you know, to become a financial accountant, there's a whole process. You have to become a chartered financial accountant. At, some, at the moment, any man, woman, child or dog <laughs> can do a carbon footprint. And there's no particular qualification that's required. Now, I don't know what it's going to look like, but at some point... Our sector is going to have to professionalize and there's going to have to be some form of qualification of knowledge and skills to say that it might be that you have a junior, same as financial accountants. They have people who are more junior doing a lot of the legwork, but it still has to be stamped by a chartered accountant. And I think we're going to have to get to that stage as an industry as well over a you know a transitionary period where we get, get up to speed with that. But professionalization will be key. Mm. And yes, yeah, so I, th- I think there's a whole array of things we can can achieve, but really driving forward our sector and influencing policy and standards and advocating for green skills. And the fact that carbon accounting is a green skill, it's currently not on any UK government kind of docket for priorities in saying this is a key sector that we can invest in and grow. Um, and we need to see that happen. And we need to see universities and colleges actually training people to be carbon accountants because at the moment we don't often hire someone who we don't have to train how to do a carbon footprint whereas if you recruit a someone who's got their chartership of financial accounting you can be confident they know quite a lot of what to do mm. we need to get there as well so that we're not constantly having to have this huge onboarding sort of task and start being able to sort of have some form of qualification that tells us yes this is a qualified person who can do the job it's really interesting because, again, in, in buildings, you know, carbon analysis and construction is very, very nice, very early, you know, very nascent. And and there are some strange quirks in the way that life cycle analysis is done that, that actually drive you to not necessarily make the best decisions if you're trying to get the, the you know, the A star, you know, the A plus rating and the, the bells and whistles. But actually, you sometimes go, no, I'm not going to do that because I don't think that's the right thing. And the fact that you're creating an organization with enough people to have the heft to shift quickly the the the, the, the kind of the, the game rules i think is really mm. critical because it does feel a bit like the wild west it, it, but you know with a lot of people trying to do the very best they can but it is slightly unregulated isn't it so it's, it's amazing to hear that you guys are trying to work together to to drive that into a more sort of mature industry but you're working with your competitors I mean, it always strikes me that the green industry in green industries is much more collaboration. Is that something that you recognize? I think there's certainly a desire to collaborate. I think people, uh, you know, this won't necessarily be universally true, but I think most, the vast, vast, vast majority of people who have gotten into particularly carbon accounting are in it because they are passionate about it. They, 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 they know that we have a challenge that needs to be solved. And that, that challenge, that need for impact kind of supersedes kind of competitive stuff. I think that there are other areas within the carbon markets that are potentially 
less collaborative and more competitive. And you think you think carbon accounting is the wild west, carbon offsetting, crazy. <laughs> um, but yeah, so I, I do I do think that there's a strong drive for collaboration um, in our sector, and certainly that is it, it shines through. And I, I'm reading the applications and just people voluntarily leave comments going this is amazing i've been wanting to find ways to talk to other people in my sector for ages and i think we should be doing more to do this more to do that and one of the things that emilia and i found as soon as we started going out to people was that like half the people we spoke to went we'd been thinking that something like this was needed as well and i think that's why we're seeing this insane huge response is that clearly this has been a gap it's been a space that people have kind of wanted and that it's just that no one had kind of gotten around to doing it. I think you're absolutely spot on with regards to the nature of the person that gets involved with carbon accounting and in this space. But equally, the market and stroke industry is incredibly immature. And because of that immaturity, most businesses are very small. Therefore, collaboration is a way of growing and you'll see a lot of people want or organizations wanting to collaborate because of that do you see that as a barrier in the future with regards to you know organizations getting bigger and then wanting to not collaborate as much because there's egos that start to come into the room potentially from other industries running those yeah i'm i mean i think it's something that we'll have to keep a keep an eye on because i agree i think at the moment the fact that you know when you think about so you know we've got a lovely big number that it's it's somewhere between forty thousand and forty eight thousand company carbon footprints because we ask everyone to, to give a range <laughs> we don't ask them for a specific number of clients so that's a lovely big number but it's it's actually an incredibly small number when you think about the total number of companies and if if we are progressing towards a, a state in which all organizations at some point will have to measure their carbon emissions probably within the next five years, then uh, the, the scale that our industry is going to have to get to is, is going to be quite remarkable in terms of going from 40,000 to millions. So, you know, that, that's what, you know, one of the things that will come up when people sort of think about it is like, well, there's, there's space for all of us right now. Right now there's, 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 there's room to grow left right and center and, and so there's not as much competition so could that change yes D- would that affect people's willingness to collaborate i think it depends on how well we do at keeping the safe space kind of thing i think there'll be cert- there may be certain things that that people get more reserved about but as long as we can create this safe space that actually you know this whole b2b thing is kind of an illusion right it's people People do business with people, even when you're on a B2B transaction. And this is a B2B network, but it's people who are sitting within it. And so what the corporate line will be will often be very different than what an individual will do or say, particularly if they're in a space where they know they're not going to be personally quoted. <laughs> and so we have we use the Chatham House rule when we're in our meetings so that people feel they can share more openly, and they do. Um, and so I think as long as we can create a space where um, enough of those that people kind of you know particularly if larger organizations like planet mark pay footprint normative climate partner as long as we are leaning in and we are kind of making ourselves a bit vulnerable and saying you know saying things that that you know we're sort of revealing going oh we're really struggling with this or we're not sure how to approach that if we do that and lead by example 
people tend to reciprocate people it's like kind of like a group therapy session where as soon as one person goes to the next level <laughs> um, it gives permission for everyone else to make themselves that much more vulnerable so i think a lot of it's going to be a cultural thing about how we really nurture a an open sharing growth focused culture within within the uh, alliance which is going to be hard to do at scale but um i i i'm hopeful that we can do it given where you know, given the enthusiasm and energy that we've already seen. I've got another question for you, which I'm not convinced you're going to be able to answer, but I don't want to preempt that. <laughs> um, you've both touched upon life cycle analysis. It is a wild west out there, but for the right reasons. How do you think we're going to tackle that? Because a lot of it is on assumptions mm. and a lot of it is on... Well, we chose that because of. So the first thing to say is that it's it's, it's still more true in carbon accounting. But to be clear, even in financial accounting, interpretation is very important. (laughs) You know, when you when it comes down to which taxes, uh, you know, taxes apply, how you calculate your profits what what's you know all of those sorts of things there are decisions and interpretations that get made by accountants all the time and so i think a certain amount of that is probably going to remain true uh for for our sector as well i think that's donald trump's argument isn't it at the moment in uh, the new york courts anyway uh, exactly exactly he's trying to interpret no i think he's made up a figure but whatever <laughs> yeah just yes my apartment is twice the size in, in square meters i walked it myself my feet are very large um <laughs> i think i think um so i think that's 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 the first thing to set out is that 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 we we mustn't treat ourselves as if we are somehow unique in that that thing financial accounting has the same thing but that that said it's going to be important that we align on things and this is the this is the technical alignment piece where there'll be a certain amount we can do where it's a, which which proxies we use what methods we use that will be standards driven potentially regulator regu- regulatory driven but the long game here right and where this kind of i think this is just personal opinion where it will need to get to eventually for simplicity's sake is that carbon data is going to have to be quite like financial data in that in principle, if every organization in the world measured their scope one emissions, the fuel that they burn, everything else is data sharing and analytics because your, your scope two emission, your energy, is the scope one emissions that you're accountable for from the person you bought your energy from. Your scope three emissions are the nested scope one and two emissions of everything that led to that product or service being delivered to you. So, and, and, and beyond. And so if we can get to the point where everyone is calculating, you know, scopes one and two, which for most businesses is quite a straightforward ask. It's their utility bills and their vehicle fleet, which you've, you've got that data for financial reasons anyway. Then in principle, what I, you know, where I think we could end up going, and this is why all the big account, uh, accountancy firms are rushing into this space, seeing that they can play a big role in it, is that on an invoice, comes to you to pay for a product or service it will show you the aggregate scope one emissions of that product or service that have been nested all the way up because you don't need to know the cost and profit margins of every single movement of a product before it's arrived at you that's baked into the price that you pay for it 
So you can assume that all of the previous profit margins and costs are included. The same would be true here where, you know, I would I would buy a pencil and it would tell me this is 0.1 tons of CO2e. Hopefully not. That would be a very heavy pencil. But, you know, it <laughs> it'd be 0.1 tons of CO2e um, for this pencil. And that would factor in all of the processing that had gone into it from the raw materials that came into it, from the transportation, from all of these things, where if everyone just adds on their bit, and then if I then sell that pencil to someone else, I go, right, the scope one emissions that were reported to me on my invoice, plus my scope one emissions that have been added onto that. And so I think that will be where, if, if we want to do this globally, properly, that'll be where it goes. But getting to that stage is going to be really challenging no, because but, uh, you need every say, country to agree to it but that's a revelation to me actually because you know when we try to understand in constru- i think construction is quite unusual in that the amount of materials we're trying to get our date our apds for is is vast you know we're, we're putting you know five hundred thousand items together in a building if you include every nail you know it, it, it's just vast numbers and and that's mm-hmm. been blowing my head like how are we going to get these epds reliable how do we understand this how do they get this data but actually when you break it down, and if everyone knows their scope one, that's it, really. I mean, there's a bit of there's a bit of sequestration stuff. You could argue a tiny bit of complexity there, but fundamentally, that that's it. And then out of that, you get this incredibly complex amount of data. But it's really very basic at the bottom line. How much did you burn? Yeah. How much did you burn? That's wow. Oh. That's a yeah. moment. I'm having a moment here. Thanks for that. <laughs> <laughs> You're welcome. I think it's, 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 it, it is that thing where we, A, to a certain extent, where we are overcomplicating a solution to an issue because we because policy isn't where it needs to be. And, and we're trying to fill the, the gaps because of that and we're sort of making stuff up because we don't have data. We have to estimate because we don't have data. And like just, But imagine if you were trying to set up the financial system from scratch, like that's that's what we're doing, and like think about all of the complexity where now, and, and that that wasn't always the case. This is one of my favourite sort of sort of tidbits, which is that people sort of think of financial accounting as this thing that has just, just always been there. We've always known, and I, you know, I can read a, a financial report from a Chinese company, and and I know what their company is, you know, doing the profit margin. That has never that's not always been the case. Like um, back in the nineteen when it's at the Wall Street crash, right? A major reason why the Wall Street crash happened was because at that time, there were different methodologies for calculating profits that were insane. (laughs) One of those methodologies was you could take estimated sales from next year, things just make assumptions about what sales you're going to make next year, and you could bring some of that profit and report it as this year's profit. That's like offsetting. <laughs> yeah, Same, yeah, similar kind yeah. of principles, isn't and, it? And it just, <laughs> you, you could, you just, and you go, well, obviously that's going to create a balloon. Obviously. And so people would start, people would be bringing forward profits. But then the next year, a big problem you've now got is you've set even higher targets to demonstrate growth, but you've given away a whole chunk of your profits to the last year. So now you've got to claim even more from the year after that. And so it, it became this vicious cycle that created this bubble, and that's that's what led to the Wall Street crash. And so That's a brilliant bit of information. <laughs> so after the Wall Street it. crash, international bodies were formed to say this can never happen again we need to create a consistent method for accountancy internationally and that was actually done by the same sort by the sort of the sister organization of IFRS who are the ones who have just developed and launched the S1 S2 standards 
for carbon measurement within sort of a financial lens, they're the same people who developed the international accountancy standards, the IASB. They're the, it's the same organization that said, right, we sorted out the financial stuff. This carbon thing needs to be dealt with. We're going to create an IF, the IFRSS 1S2 using the International Sustainability Standards Board to do it. And, and they're sort of coming in on that. And so that's why that one has been taken up by governments so quickly, because it was created by a body that they already used to say, here's how we're doing financial accounting for our country now. Mm. Yeah, I, I get it. That's brilliant. That's really, really Will, good. you're in this area, and I'm going to throw a little question at you. I mean, what would you like to see the Carbon Accounting Alliance do for, for your business and, and the sector? I think cohesion across the industry is imperative with that cohesion will drive change. I remember when I first started Green Element back in 2003-04, I genuinely thought that by 2020 I wouldn't have a job because I assumed, as it turns out wrongly, that every single organisation would innately reduce their emissions and their impact because everyone was trained up. to. It was just part of society. And that's clearly not happened. But I think something like an organisation like the Carbon Alliance will really drive systemic change in our society because, you know, legislators and politicians will have to sit up and listen to an industry that knows what they're talking about. And we absolutely need to have Going, be able to go onto company's house and see the footprint of every single organisation. And I think we're in a fairly rich, affluent country. There are areas of the world that do not have the skills and expertise to measure carbon. But if we can solve the problem and make it incredibly easy in those affluent countries, then everywhere in the world will be able to measure their carbon incredibly easily. And I see that is where we should yeah, be going to. Absolutely. And, and if, the, if we can get the data piece to largely sort itself out for people so they understand where they are, there's going to be a lot. It means we can invest all of our time into helping them get to where they need to be and actually help so them reducing. figure out. So yeah, where is it that you, because yeah. just because you've got a carbon footprint doesn't mean you know what to do with it. doesn't yeah. mean that you know, oh, I can probably reduce... Yeah. A thousand tons. If I change this material, I can probably change. I can probably. So I, I hope that it will. You know, the 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 automation, which it will come for for our for our sector, the same as it does for all, um, will will free us up to focus more of our resources and more of our time as organisations on actually helping hold people's hands and walk them through the journey of achieving the reductions that they need to achieve. But that's quite a sobering comment because effectively you're saying all of this incredible achievement is literally just going to get us to the start line. And then we've got to do all the real work of reduction. I mean, I understand yeah. that in the process of understanding your uh, process of analysing and gaining your, your carbon uh, footprint, you, you inevitably make reduction. I mean, I think it just it, that's just human. You do. But, it's obvious. You see waste and you see opportunity. So, but go back to one of the comments that Andrew made quite early on about double counting and triple counting with scope one, two and three emissions. And if you have large organisations and many organisations reducing their impact on scope one, two, and three emissions, then there's double, triple counting going on, which means the reductions will be bigger and faster than anticipated because of that. So there is positive, it, but 
It doesn't mean that we should stop triple counting, though, because actually that potentially could be one of our helpful saving yeah, graces. I think it'll, it'll create this ripple effect and... Um, you know, I, I, yeah, leaning into your metaphor with the start line, you know, I, I do, I love the metaphor of the UN's race to zero campaign because it is a race. Let's be, let's yep, be clear. Absolutely. Um, now, and there are going to be winners and losers in this race. In the same as there, there will be our blockbusters and there will be our Netflixes. <laughs> but mm. the the critical thing is that this is a race that we will all win or we will all lose together. And it's not about mm. who's first across the line. It's about who's last across the line, mm. and, and and how long it mm. takes us to get there. And so, as a society, it's that's why this collaborative mindset is so important. Because if we, I think uh, Elon Musk used a really lovely thing when he re- he released all of the patents mm-hmm. to all of the Tesla technology, and said, "Make use of them." And I think the metaphor he used was he said, "If you're in a boat that's sinking." And it's got loads of holes in it, and you've invented the the whole patch kit. Don't hoard it and keep it back and make lots of profits. You're still on a sinking boat. It is absolutely in your fundamental interest to get as many people making patch kits as you possibly can, because you're in the boat. If the boat sinks, it was all fun. You might be the richest person on that boat, but you've sunk. <laughs> Um, there so, is an enormous so, okay. amount yeah. of rewiring that needs to go on within the human psyche and, and the kind of modern modern economy without a doubt. So let's say I'm a business who who does carbon accounting. How do I join the Carbon Accounting Alliance? Do I have to be invited? Do I apply? What's the process? Um, so you just go to the, the website, carbonaccountingalliance.com, and there's a join us button, and there's a little Microsoft form that you fill out and uh, sort of just telling us who to contact and what sort of uh, services you're providing, things like that. So we understand who, who we have in the Alliance Um, and yeah, fill that in. And then when I get around to it, I'll, (laughs) (laughs) I I get in there and I add you to the calendar invites. I add you to the mailing list. uh, I get your logo and slap it on the website. So currently it's a very manual process that also needs some innovation to it from, from my side. But yeah, so it's, it's very simple. There's, there's, there's currently no costs involved or anything like that. We want to make it open and accessible. Um, although given the size and scale we're reaching now, we're going to have to figure out some way, I think, of probably supporting some funding. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You're going to have to. Yeah. You have to. You're not going to be able to do it yourself otherwise. I'm, I'm, looking, so, forward, so, yeah. I'm looking forward to the next CAA meeting and, and just imagining you there with about 20 screens just to see everyone's faces when you when you have a Zoom. <laughs> so that's it for this episode of Sustainability Solved, the Sustainable Business Podcast. Thank you so much, Andrew Griffiths and Planet Mark and Carbon Accounting Alliance. That was absolutely fascinating. Thank you so much. I'm Charlie Luxton. And I'm Will Richardson at Green Elements. For more information, on Green Elements and everything we've discussed today, please check the show notes. And if you have any feedback or questions, you can definitely get in contact with us at Green Element on social media. And don't forget to follow this podcast in your favourite app or write us a review, because I thought this was a very good episode. So say that in a review. Thank you very much. See you next month. Mm